Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, a show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending of course on which platform you choose to follow us on. And guys, once again, another episode coming out in the middle of the F1 winter break. And you'd normally think that there's not a lot to talk about in the offseason. So we'd have to try and come up with a few gimmicky episodes or try a few different things for you just to keep things going and keep things fresh. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing in this episode. But before we do that, there's a little bit of a news roundup that I think we're going to have to go over as well, owing to a few big stories that are still going on particularly in the aftermath of last season, heading into this one as well. But before we get into that, just going to introduce our guests once again, and it's the regulars, as always, for DNF1. First of all, one of my co-hosts, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing? And uh, all, all things good so far in the new year? Yeah, can't complain. Had a decent start to uh, 2022. It's just, um, yeah, as you said, there's a lot going on. And uh, there's a couple of things that I've gone sort of, unexplained or you know there's been or inconclusive and we're not actually that far away from testing now so I think we're going into quite an, uh, an intriguing period yeah very much so indeed um I believe testing is around the end of February I think 23rd of February I think 23rd that's right for the first test so yeah it's it's not long um it, it's weird once the season is over you're sort of counting down the days, thinking how long it's going to be. Obviously, you've got Christmas and New Year's and everyone's sort of jolly and celebrating as best as we can. You know, COVID permitting, hopefully, for a lot of you, that wasn't uh, a problem. Um, but we sympathise, of course, if uh, some of your holiday plans were wrecked by that, unfortunately. But, of course, when you get into the new year, you start to look ahead to the next F1 season. And whilst, of course, we would be hoping that our priorities and focus are mainly on the 2022 F1 season, as it should be for a lot of reasons that we discussed in the last episode, there are going to be a few things that are uh, not exactly left behind, 
but stuff exactly that we shouldn't be forgetting at all. And we need to make sure, of course, that uh, as fans of the sport and, you know, competitors and et cetera, et cetera, however you're involved in it, that, you know, what is done is at the very, very least learned from and rectified to a degree that it isn't repeated itself. Of course, I'm talking about the Lewis Hamilton situation in particular, uh, and then we're going to get into that a little bit. Uh, well, momentarily, I should say. Um, also joining us, as always, our newest member of the DNF1 team, Lee Wallington. Lee, uh, furthermore, from what we were just saying, um, how are you doing? And uh, yeah, what are your thoughts at the moment with all the big talking points going on heading into the 2022 F1 season? Well, I'm very good. I'm enjoying and hating all the little teasers of the cars that are being dripped out by the teams at their particular angle. And it's like, oh, I just want to see the cars already. I know we've still got a month to go before they start revealing it, but it's just a, the team's teasers, just oh, teasing and obviously filling their purpose. But it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at the same ab- time. absolutely. Yeah, it is really frustrating because obviously I-, I want to see the new cars. I know you do, Courtney does. It's one of those that I think particularly because of this season and the excitement that is brimming owing to what potentially could be F1's most unpredictable season in some time. All we, do, all we want us to do is just see how these new cars are going to look, especially considering that a lot of the designs that are being teased are very different to what we thought we were going to get owing to the show car that we saw at Silverstone early in the season. We, we talked about this in the last episode that there are quite a few solutions that are being rumoured that uh, so many different teams are actually going to bring that look completely different to what we saw. So, you know, that on its own, when the cars break cover, you see the new liveries and the new cars, the F1 season starts to take shape. And of course, then we have testing and then it won't be long after that until the very first race of this season. But I should stress that before we get into that, we're going to be talking about some of the uh, news stories that have been doing the rounds uh, briefly. And then, of course, we are going to try something a bit different. We are going to do a Would You Rather episode. Now, for those of you that are familiar with the concept of Would You Rather, you're faced with two choices in a hypothetical scenario. And of course, the op- op- well, you have to choose one option over the other. And uh, in this episode, we're going to be doing an F1 version of that. So I had to scour the internet for some inspiration and create a few of these myself. So if this does prove to be something that you want to see us do a bit more often, do let us know in the comment section below if you're watching this on YouTube. And of course, if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platform, you can let us know via the socials or you can go on YouTube and let us know there or you can contact us and let us know if you're happy with this and we'll try other things or perhaps do another one of these in the future. But that all out of the way. We're going to get to that um, in about 10 or 20 minutes time. So if you want, I will leave a timestamp in this episode for you guys listening or watching to let you know when the the, uh, would you rather part starts Um, so that if you don't want to hear us talk about some of the news stories that are going on for the first 10 or 20 minutes, then you can just skip to that and then join us for that part of the episode. All the formalities out of the way, guys, I want to get into some of the news stories that have been doing the rounds and The obvious one I think we have to address is the recent developments in the Lewis Hamilton FIA story. Now, to cast your minds back to Abu Dhabi, for those of you that were living under a rock and didn't know what what we're talking about, final race of the season, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton going into that level on points. We got to lap 57, or sorry, lap 54, I should say, of that race before Nicholas Latifi had an accident which brought out the safety car. And in that period between lap 54 and lap 57, the safety car rules, as we believe they should be interpreted, weren't exactly followed to the letter. At least that's what the interpretation was of a lot of people watching. Um, 
And evidently from what we saw from the FIA and a lot of the teams that the protocols weren't followed by the race director, which brought us to a situation where Max Verstappen had a clear run at Lewis Hamilton on the final lap of the championship with two compound softer tyres and fresh tyres as well. And the inevitable happened where Max managed to overtake Lewis on the final lap and as a result, win the world championship. Now, what's obviously followed is a couple of protests from Mercedes, which were rejected. And then an eventual situation where we were expecting Mercedes to launch an official protest in the International Court of Appeal at the FIA. That did not happen. And Mercedes' reasons were for the following, that they believed that not only would they get justice in this, but for the good of the sport, they would make sure they would hold the FIA to account on this and make sure that they publish an investigation of their findings into what's happened and basically give us clarity once and for all uh, the FIA's stance on this following the investigation on whether they felt what actually happened was the right thing in terms of what the race director, Michael Massey, did. Now, as a result of that, we've seen a lot of stories regarding Lewis Hamilton's potential future in F1, how Lewis is feeling about this. Total Wolf said himself that not only Mercedes, but very much, uh, especially Lewis, were disillusioned by what had happened. They felt the situation was manipulated against them in favour for, not necessarily for Max Verstappen, but in favour of entertainment over uh, in preserving the integrity of the sport. And that's kind of led us to a situation where the FIA promised that they were going to conduct an investigation on these findings following that statement, um, talking about Mercedes, making sure they're going to hold them to account and the other teams and drivers, et cetera, et cetera. This was about a month ago. To this day, we haven't heard anything yet. And there's been a lot of reports um, suggesting that the continued silence from not only the FIA, but also from Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton on this front does not make good reading over the potential future of the seven-time world champion. Now, I said on this show countless times, I do not believe for one second that Lewis Hamilton has any desire to quit the sport um, in terms of, you know, he just doesn't want to do Formula One anymore, doesn't want to race anymore. However, I am starting to grow to the suspicion that if uh, we don't get what, what Lewis doesn't get what he wants and Mercedes doesn't get what he wants in terms of this... Um, investigation, this publicized investigation report from the FIA to conduct their findings and basically tell us what they thought of that incident, then we could be in a situation where we may potentially see Lewis consider a sabbatical or even leaving the sport altogether, which would be a catastrophic disaster for Formula One, not just from a branding perspective, because we're talking about their largest asset uh, who has such a global fanfare and everything else that comes with it, but the reputational damage to the sport of losing someone like Lewis uh, under circumstances outside the norm where, you know, we would expect Lewis to leave the sport anyway, because time catches up on all of us, but being in a situation where he's being driven out because of uh, F1's lack of integrity and credibility in this circumstance is a problem. So that kind of brings us to where we are today. Uh, there was a news report that came out earlier, a few hours ago, Sky Sports, I believe it was that claimed that, uh, the people they'd spoken to had said that the FIA planned to publish this report on the 3rd of February, and it only just started conducting it on at the beginning of this week on Monday. So that's quite surprising. Um, Courtney, I've said quite a lot on this already, just kind of summarize it as best as I can. But are you surprised that to hear that the FIA have only recently begun this investigation and that they may be cutting it very, very close if they plan on publishing their findings on February the 3rd at the earliest? Uh, to be honest, I'm not surprised in the slightest. Um, at the end of the day, 
I can't speak on behalf of other people, but the the impression that I get is that the FIA were hoping that this would just uh, blow over. And I'll have a pint in the Winchester and wait for all this to blow over. That didn't quite happen. And basically what you had, what you, what you have now is Lewis Hamilton standing on his ground in particular. And I, I think he's, you know, he's holding his cards close to his chest. He isn't saying anything on social media that could be detrimental. I think we're in a situation now where the pressure is actually growing on the FIA to do something about this. Um, I think also the, the the level of anger towards what happened in Abu Dhabi hasn't gone away from like the, the general audience. Let's say I think you know the only it's not only social media. You know, you you speak to anybody that you know loves Formula One who, who doesn't have a, like a, a particular preference for Max Verstappen or Red Bull. They're still angry about what happened. Now, let's make this clear. This isn't about the fact that Max Verstappen won. I think if any driver had won the championship in those circumstances, I think there would have been a similar level of anger. I think we've, we've witnessed a lot of silliness, you know, within the F1 fan base over the last year. And it just seems that there are certain people out there who attack anybody that has any kind of issues with the result because, oh, you're just Lewis Hammond fanboys. Cry more, Lewis Hamilton fanboys. It's more than that. This is about the integrity of the sport. Not only the integrity, it's about what the sport stands for going forward. You know, if if we don't if we don't make an example of what happened here, you're gonna have a situation where like, I, I said this in a race reaction a month ago. You're gonna see Formula One becoming more like WWE, let's say, where the results get manufactured. We Formula One isn't about that. Formula One is about innovation and the best driver winning with the machinery they have at their the beck and call. This needs to be made an example of to make sure that Formula One keeps... Formula One does have its flaws rather than, other than this, but for Formula One to keep as pure as it possibly could be. And at the same time, you're right, Adam, if, if F1 were to lose a commodity like Lewis Hamilton who does bring in a certain type of person that Formula wasn't able to attract before, whether it be from certain racial backgrounds, whether it be from certain class backgrounds. I, I know that there are a lot of working class people look up to Lewis Hamilton, for example, for the example that he set. And a lot of these people from these backgrounds would be disillusioned. And I just feel that F1 would be sticking to that sort of elitist reputation it has. And that will be damaging for the sport, massively damaging going forward, right over. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's absolutely right, Corny. Um, said that really, really well, actually. Um, there's a lot to take from this current situation. I mean, you're absolutely right in the damage that it could cause F1 if they are to drive away their biggest commodity right now. I mean, we've talked a lot about how critical Max Verstappen is to Formula One in its future. You know, the fact that he's world mm -hmm. champion does not change that. If anything, it kind of enhances his credibility to that yeah. regard. Um, regardless of, uh, you know, how you saw the final race of the season, I think it's important to note that. Um, but right now, in terms of what F1 are trying to do, what terms of what Liberty Media are trying to do, they're trying to bring in a new generation of new fans. And to date, they've been very successful at this. You've had the Drive to Survive series. You've had expansion in the Grand Prix that we've gone to, the expansion to the access and the, you know, what the, the sort of people that are coming into the sport, you know, we are seeing interest coming from all four corners of the earth in so many different places that didn't even know about F1, let alone actually take an interest in it. 
And by part, a lot of that has come from the influence of someone like Lewis Hamilton. What he brings to the sport as a commodity is uh, that reach that he is able to ascertain or to you know provide um, from his reputation and his credibility, not just as an F1 driver, but as a celebrity and ambassador of the sport, the humanitarian work that he has managed to deliver and um, lead the call for change as a you know, as an inspiration and someone that can actively say, no, we need to be doing more. He's been doing that. He's been giving so much to the sport in that regard, other than just driving a car around a track for two hours um, every other weekend. To lose all of that following this, and I can't understate this enough, that is a huge, huge loss for Formula One. You know, Lewis will eventually walk away from the sport. Um, You know, time catches up with all of us. It happened to Schumacher. You know, it happened to so many other champions of the past um it's going to happen to lewis but it has to happen in the right circumstances and if he's driven away from the sport because he doesn't believe in it anymore doesn't trust in the fia anymore he he doesn't feel it's worth his time and he's just a pawn in some otherwise sadistic game that just uses him in this way then there's no reason for him to stick around and f1 can't afford to lose him for that reason because it will just it will drive people away from the sport we'll stick around because we're hardcore fans. Yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, people that aren't hardcore fans shouldn't follow F1. Of course they should. We need more fans of this sport. That's what been one of the best things about the F1 over the last decade or so is the influx of new supporters taking up this sport for the first time in the same way that we did in the 90s when we were growing up. But F1 could risk losing so much of that and so much more to a point where it can't recover if they don't get this right. It's critical. Um We've had the FIA president, the new one, uh, Mohammed uh, Ben Salim, who's been talking quite a lot about this. He's mentioned that he's reached out to Lewis Hamilton numerous times uh, via text, but he hasn't received a response from Lewis. Um, Lee, I want to get your thoughts on this right now, because a lot of emphasis is being made on the silence of Lewis Hamilton on this in terms of where this needs to go in order to achieve the desired outcome. But do you feel it's more critical that the silence of the FIA in this circumstance up to this point is more um, how could I put this? It is more has more of an impact right now than the silence of Lewis Hamilton. I think with the, with the silence of the FA, it's not helping the situation. They're not being transparent at all. Um, obviously, I just touching on the earlier point of they just started doing the the investigation. I I remember in a previous episode I said I don't even expect there to be anything because of the way the FA has worked in the past. But the fact that they're They've just started it. They're not obviously being detailed, being a secret organisation as a obviously an independent body doing their own thing, not accountable to anyone, really, apart from their own members. Um, it, it, it doesn't read well at all. Um, obviously, you hear the rumours that have been going around the last few days of, oh, Mercedes have made their private deal with the FA to kick out Michael Massey and um, I think there was another member of the FA um, technical team. I can't remember his name. Um, but obviously the FA have denied that's the case. Mercedes have denied that's the case. Um, but it's just given the opportunity for rumours to spread um, without being anything productive or helpful to the situation. Um, so it's it's just not helping at all. Obviously, Lewis and Mercedes are making their point, but the FA are not making any point by not being transparent at all. Yeah, no, 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 you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more on this one. And um, that is that does bring me nicely, actually, to the next point, actually, because I saw 
um, I was having a look through the FIA website because I'd heard a rumor about Michael Massey's future at the FIA. And what I'd noticed was actually quite interesting. So to give a little background on this before I explain what I saw, one of the uh, terms that Mercedes expressed quite strongly to the FIA in terms of a resolution to this situation and withdraw their protest was that they wanted Michael Massey to be removed as the race director at the FIA for single-seater racing in F1. Um, and they also wanted Nicholas Tambasis, who is the uh, single-seater technical That's head. the one. That's the guy I can yeah. remember. And, um, <laughs> and uh, they wanted him removed because they obviously weren't happy. And this was like a, an ad hoc request that Toto Wolff was talking about when he was talking about ad hoc stuff. Um, Mercedes is still very, very angry over the fact that um, Nicholas Tambasis was very heavily involved in the regulation changes to 2021, which we saw pegged Mercedes back quite a lot and gave the likes of Red Bull an opportunity to fight them um, on an equal footing through the fact by the, you know, by virtue of the fact that Mercedes were held back rather than Red Bull were given a chance to push all the way forward. It was kind of, it met in the middle. And it, don't get me wrong, it created an incredible championship, but I can understand why Mercedes were obviously very, very angry at the fact that they've put in so much resource and time and energy and effort into creating such a dominant car and they were being held back because of it rather than the other teams catching them up. Now, of course, we can go over this for hours over, um, you know, fairness and the rules are being homologated and Mercedes were being given a golden opportunity to win another championship that they otherwise probably shouldn't have done if um, the 2021 season, you know, occurred in the way that the 2022 one will. That all being said, um, we've ended up in a situation now where what I've seen on the website from the organization chart on the FIA website was that both Michael Massey and Nicholas Tombassis are now no longer showing up on this organization chart uh, in their respective roles. They've been removed completely. And this is of uh, January this year. And the other one most recently was October 2021 before the final races of the season. So I guess my question is, guys, do you think that means that perhaps the FIA are already adhering to Mercedes' request to try and reach a resolution? Um, or do you believe that perhaps this is just a temporary removal whilst this now new investigation starts to take shape? Uh, it's certainly possible. I think the, the want for the likes of Michael Massey to be removed from the FIA, I don't even think it's just a Mercedes mouth. I think there's a decent proportion of the F1 fan base that want to see it happen. I don't think it can be understated how angry people are about what happened. Again, there'll, there'll be the, the typical remarks of, oh, that's just the Hamilton fanboys that feel the way. It doesn't. It, this, the, the issue and the values that have been tarnished from what happened on that day, it transcends rather than further than fandom for one driver. It sets a standard for future races because it... Let's be honest, what happened in Abu Dhabi wasn't the only mistake that has been made, or even like obvious mistakes. The stewarding, particularly last season, some of it has been a it's been comical. I think that's the best way to put it comical, but it's not funny when you are either a driver, you know, putting his heart and soul competing to get the best possible result he can. Also, if you're working for the teams, you're either putting hours or plunging millions into, you know, into this this product that you want to see, you know, get the maximum result. Just be played around with by people that want to create drama or 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 
or actually clout chasing. I think that's the best way to describe it. I think F1 in the last season in general have been clout chasing. It's not a sport. It's, 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 it's a YouTube channel. A bit rich come from people who are on the YouTube channel, but that's where that's how it's become. And you just have to keep the purity of sport intact. And if you have to get rid of people who, in my opinion, are clowns, so be it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Um, there's been a lot of questionable decisions that have been made um, that have angered a lot of people for different reasons. Now, I can understand why they may feel that way, but the ultimate thing is there's just been so much inconsistency and f one stance on this has not been, or the FIA stance, I should say, has not been encouraging. Um, and, you know, this has a lot of similar hallmarks to what we saw in 1989 with Ayrton Senna. Uh, and what happened there, and obviously the fallout with him and Balestra to the point where Senna's entry to the 1990 World Championship was revoked up until the point where he was forced to apologise. And even then, when we saw that apology, we knew that he was definitely not sincere in it at all. But it was the only way that he could get in. And I think, you know, you guys have both pointed out already that the problem is with the FIA in this case is that whether this was the plan, that they were always going to conduct this investigation now rather than a month ago, as they claimed that they were going to do. Um, But if they think that this is going to blow over and that people are going to forget this and that we'll just move on with the show, they're going to be sadly mistaken. I mean, I'll give you an example. We mentioned this briefly um, a little while ago, but it's it's kind of come up again. Who would have thought that the voice of reason on F1 on social medias right now would be Nick Knowles talking about this? And for those of you who don't know Nick Knowles, he was a TV presenter in the UK, um, quite a few shows... And he is relatively well known in the UK, I suppose, it's probably fair to say, and a very likable presenter. I had no idea he was as big an F1 fan as he's evidently proven to be, but here we are in 2022, and Nick Knowles is the voice of reason on F1 right now. But um, he's constantly been badgering and going toe-to-toe with F1 journalists, particularly UK-based ones uh, that work for Sky F1 or uh, Will Buxton, for example, another one that works for F1 basically trying to put pressure on them to say, look, we all know that you guys have been condemning this and saying that this is wrong. But that's pretty much about it. You've said it's wrong when it happened and immediately afterwards, but you've kind of just forgotten about it and just let it go. And he's been going back and forth with them saying that, you know, guys, I can understand you have to be impartial um, to a degree. um, But, you know, it almost seems like you're just going to ignore this and wait for it all to blow over like the FIA are and not do you know your you guys are actually have an influence and a voice in this sport you guys need to be talking about this or put pressure on them um you know in terms of putting that over potential job secure or anything like that now look that's not me suggesting that um the F1 journalists whether they work for Sky or whether they work for F1 or work for any other broadcaster or organization um that they're in a position that they have to stay impartial in this circumstance and they can't voice what they truly feel out of fear that they may be replaced. That's not what I'm suggesting. But, um, I mean, what do you guys make of all this? Because it's quite interesting, I must say. I mean, my thoughts on this one, I think that, you know, whilst I understand Nick's frustration and I, too, am frustrated about all of this and that there seems to be a lack of movement, I don't think... You know, um, how can I put this? I don't think trying to go back and forth with F1 journalists on this is the right way to go. I think he needs to reach a bit higher than that. But um, I guess, what are your thoughts on this one, guys? Do you feel that the journalists need to, F1 journalists like Will Buxton or Karen Chandler, just to name drop a few, or Mark Hughes, that perhaps they need to be expressing their discontent a little bit more than just what they did at the aftermath of the Grand Prix? Uh, Lee, I'll come to you first on that one. Well, I... I, I... 
I completely agree. I understand the frustration like many other people around the world are frustrated with the scenario or the circumstances that occurred. But from a from their sports journalist point of view, they do obviously have to try and remain impartial regarding our... our we're not supporting Mercedes. We're not supporting Lewis. We're not supporting Red Bull. We're not supporting Max. We're just portraying the facts of the situation that is occurring. Uh, but however, as a media outlet, at the end of the day, Sky is media outlet. Well, Will Buxton works for Formula One directly, but you could argue that he's a media outlet for Liberty. Um, but have you put as a media outlet? They, there's probably a certain amount of responsibility that they have to put pressure on the Formula One about standards. Not going, oh, this is biased, and this is our point of view. This is this is the standards that we expect as uh, the fan base expects. Not necessarily we expect, but the fan base expects. Um, obviously, the, the FA aren't a, a country, but just as a, a parallel, um, in a, any country, the media will put out good or bad press on the government to expect this, the standards of the country are kept. And the media should be doing something similar to the FA, who are the governing body of Formula One. These are the standards that we expect. At least that, that's how I see it. So they got, but the important thing is to remain impartial and not go, we want Lewis to do this or we want Mercedes for that or Mac. No, it's just, it's just what we expect from the sport. No, that's a really good point. Um, Courtney, what are your thoughts on this? Do you feel like, not necessarily those particular journalists uh, involved in F1, but F1 media in general, mm. um, do you feel that they should be putting more pressure on the FIA? Um, as a voice that perhaps is one that is listened to, you know, that they have that direct connection with press releases that the FIA and F1 release, media outlets get notified of this. Do you feel that they should collectively be putting pressure on them to make sure that, at the very least, this investigation is conducted properly and that we get some form of resolution, at least in terms of findings of what they thought of what happened in Abu Dhabi? I think um, I think Lee made a great point about, you know, the responsibility of the media. Um well, it's quite a big topic to go into when it comes to uh, politics and stuff. But at the end of the day, the FIA are, are, are a governing body. So, and they need to be held to account the way government does. You know, there are obviously big similarities there. Um, but I think, I think if you look at Sky Sports in particular, I, I think Sky Sports are in a little bit of a corner when, when it comes to the audience's opinion of them because they are a British-based media outlet. You, you see, like, the moment they put a story out, it might be the slightest bit negative towards Max Verstappen, for example. Oh, here we go. British British media back in Lewis Hamilton. So they are kind of... I don't know. They're under scrutiny the moment that they even imply something. So I do feel they've got their hands tied a little bit, even though they shouldn't. I feel that they've got their hands tied, you know, for the sake of remaining impartial. What I will say to that... If you have an issue with uh, Sky Sports, might come across as um, the partiality of Sky Sports, go and have a look at bloody Ziggo Sports, for goodness sake. They don't hold back who their favourite driver is. So I think, you know, you've got, you've got to have a look at how different media outlets behave because you don't, you don't see Ziggo Sports coming under the amount of the amount of attack, the level of attack that Sky Sports do. You know, I, I, just, I just think that the, the the bigger problem here is that regardless of all the things that we've all little things with nip nulls and everything, this all comes down to the previous point that the FIA haven't dealt with the matter and they haven't cleared the matter. There's still a lot of question marks, and these, this is why you get situations like this. So this is why the FIA need to set out a clear precedent of what they believe in, so then 
fans and Lewis Hamilton alike know what they feel about the future of the sport, whether whether Lewis is going to stay in it or leave, or whether fans like me, you and Lee are going to carry on watching or not. Give us the answers that we all that we all want. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, we're concerned deeply that we may end up going into a position like we thought we may end up in the nineties, where F one will operate the way F1 wants to and FIA will do the same in order to get the result that they desire um, and, and unfortunately that it's not really going to help F1 at all at least not the the image that they've worked so hard to build over the last decade or so is now going to be eroded away very slowly if they are not able to address this matter or at least at the very least take it seriously um, you know I, it's funny as I said I mentioned Nick in particular and you know if by the off chance Nick somehow comes across this podcast for whatever reason and wants to come on the show and talk F1 with, with us I'd absolutely love to uh, have him on the show because um, I, I get his passion I really really do and I really appreciate what he's trying to do I don't agree with uh, not necessarily badgering or attacking journalists but sort of putting them in an uncomfortable position where they obviously may feel that their job security could potentially be on the line if they actually say what they truly feel on this or go overboard on this in the way that some fans do because they have the luxury to do so. They can say what they want. Um, And again, that's not me implying that they work for companies that are putting pressure on them in that regard. But I do feel that perhaps we collectively as a fan base, media outlets and anyone else that can needs to make sure that we're doing what Mercedes and Hamilton are clearly trying to do and let's adopt a joint stance that we actually get answers from this and that the FIA do not feel that they can just sit on their laurels on this one and just let it blow over because it won't. It really won't. Not in the modern day. It may have done in the 90s with Senna. It's not going to fly now. It just the the world is too connected for that to be a, to be a thing right now. So they have to do something. Um Look, let's move along to the next story before we go too far on this one. Um, Otmar Zafna has uh, left Aston Martin. Now, of course, we recorded this uh, the last episode last week that we put out for Friday. So in between that time, we saw the news Otmar Zafna had um, it had been announced that he was leaving Aston Martin. This was a piece of news that I was not surprised to read in the winter break. I'm also not going to be surprised if Otmar Zafna ends up at another team. I know Alpine was one that was mentioned quite a lot. Um, but... It does seem that this could potentially be a big, big decision in determining what happens in Aston Martin's short-term future. Um, Guys, first of all, are you surprised by this announcement that Otmar was moving on? And more importantly, do you think it was the right decision for Aston Martin to move Otmar Zafner along? Because I don't, personally, but we'll get into why in a moment. Uh, I'm not surprised. Um, I think we've seen that since Lawrence Stroll has taken over, um, I don't think he's afraid to make big decisions if he feels it's going to benefit his company. Um, with Martin Whitmarsh coming in, you always sense there might be a little bit of uh, a change in the culture and the management. You don't know how um, Omar felt about Martin Whitmarsh joining. This might have been like a, a level of discontent he's had in this built. And then Lawrence Giles decided to do something about it. Um, in terms of where the team goes forward without him there, he... Ha- Omar, Omar has been involved in keeping the team on a relatively small budget, punching above his weight. And at the end of the day, we've spoken many times about, you know, drivers outperforming the cars that they have. When you look at team principles, you look at what he's done with, um, you know, even going back to the Force India days, he's been outperforming the budget of the team. 
So in terms of what he can offer to a team like Aston Martin or other employers, I think he's one of the best out there. So I, at this stage, look, I, I might be proven to eat my words, but I think at this point, I think it's quite a uh, iffy move, let's say, from Aston Martin. It could well prove out to be. Uh, it's going to be pivotal one way or the other because Aston Martin have very lofty ambitions and a decision like this, whilst might seem surprising in terms of what they're actually trying to do here, um, it is a very, very uh, interesting one indeed. I mean, we talked about this earlier in the season when there was rumours over Otmar's future at Aston Martin in the medium term. And, you know, they asked him about how his thoughts on did Aston Martin need a CEO of F1 operations in the team. He was strongly against the idea. And then not long after that, they uh, recruited Martin Whitmarsh, who has a huge amount of experience in F1 projects, particularly at McLaren, um, no less. And obviously the success that he enjoyed there. And, you know, it was one of those that we thought at the time, is this one of those moves that may end up finding itself where one of them is going to have to go? and the other one will take over that role. And uh, it could well prove to be. Not to mention the fact that Otmar is almost an impossible person to replace. I mean, we're not talking about a guy who is incredibly good at what he does and is quite pivotal to uh, Racing Point's uh, trajectory um, at in the time that he was there, and for Cindy as well. But also potential future for Aston Martin, obviously the appeal that was coming from there. I mean, bringing in someone like Sebastian Vettel as a driver very much was something that Otmar would have been heavily involved in. Uh, securing the future racing point, which eventually become Aston Martin. He was a big part of that as well. So loyalty is a big thing to someone like Otmar, and uh, that might set a dangerous precedent to other people that are in that team. For example, uh, Andy Green, who's been with Otmar Zafner, has been a pivotal part of the technical department and, you know, putting the cars together and everything else, and to this day has done a relatively good job. You know, two very, very strong people that have had multiple offers throughout the paddock in the last decade and have decided to stay in this project to the point now where even his future might be at risk going forward. Um, Lee, with all that being said, and based on what Courtney and I have just mentioned, do you feel that perhaps Lawrence Stroll is taking this with a more, uh, not holistic approach, but the more business-minded approach that perhaps he feels that he needs to operate the Aston Martin team as if it's a business rather than run it as an F1 team? I think the, the best way I get a sense of what's going on with the Aston Martin is you look how Ferrari were even a few years ago of the blame culture. Because um, obviously Ferrari big business in itself. But have a bad season, someone's got to get the sack. Someone's got to get the sack. We've got to blame someone. And although there was obviously said if it was that was the case, it comes over, at least for me, Lawrence's... We had a great car in 2020. We were the pink Mercedes. What happened in 2021? Oh, we've got to blame someone. Otmar's in charge of... Oh, you're fired. Yeah, come on. We need a complete refresh. We've got to win this championship. Yeah, it's all his fault. There, we can move on. That's at least how I've seen it. And I think it's a very dangerous precedent if that is the case. Of We see it hasn't worked at Ferrari, although Ferrari have improved from their blame culture. Going down the blame culture is if that is going to be a dangerous precedent. If that is what's starting to brew at Aston Martin, yeah, it does seem that way. I mean, this is going to be quite interesting to see how this goes because evidently we don't we don't know how they're going to approach this in terms of a replacement. As I said, we mentioned Martin Whitmarsh, who might be the favourite to step into that role owing to his experience, but 
maybe he was not brought into Aston Martin with that in mind long term. They may decide to go completely left field. Um, you know, Lawrence Stroll may decide to bring someone in from outside Formula One in the way that McLaren brought in Andreas Settle. And obviously that's worked wonders for McLaren so far in the short term. He may decide to go down that route or he may decide to bring in someone like a, a Maurizio Overbene, like Ferrari did, you know, someone that wasn't familiar with Formula One activities to a degree, um, but was able to operate the team with that business management style. And to some degree, that was rather successful in some parts. Um, so we'll have to wait and see, but it's definitely a huge decision and, you know, I'm pretty certain we'll see Otmar somewhere else in the F1 paddock. And, you know, I'm pretty sure there'll be a host of offers uh, from teams. I mean, we might see him at Alpine. We might see him at a few others. We'll just have to wait and see. Look, uh, we could talk about this a bit more, but we've been doing this for about half an hour now nearly. And uh, it's amazing how time flies when you talk about these things. But of course, guys, the main point of this episode, and hopefully I'll put the right... Um, timestamp on it so that you've skipped to this point if you weren't interested in the news earlier but the main point of this episode is we're going to do a would you rather episode um an f1 edition so for those who aren't familiar i'll explain it once again quickly would you rather simple game where you have two potential options in a hypothetical situation and we're going to discuss which one of those that we would do now i've got a few questions here and owing to time We'll see how many we get through. I might hold a few back if this is successful and it drags on a bit because we can use it for a second Would You Rather F1 episode if you are interested in that one over the winter break. Now, guys, I've got some questions here. I'm going to go through them one by one. And what I want you guys to do, just have some fun with this. Um, You know, we don't have to think about too much in depth, but, you know, we'll see how we go. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's all I can really say on that one. So I'm going to get us underway um with our first question and guys join in as well give us your answers in the comment section as well let us know what you would uh, do in these ones you can just number them and just put your answer down if you want and uh, let's see how we get on with this one so the first question is would you rather be the most popular driver on the grid but never win a grand prix or would you rather be the least popular driver on the grid but be a regular grand prix winner who wants to start us with that one, guys? Uh, Lee, you um, might have an answer already. Courtney's sort of in two minds at the moment. I can see you already. Go on, Lee. It's such a tough one. I got. I mean, as a a Formula One driver, you got to be the most unpopular driver because at the end of the day, you want to go winning. Um, uh, that's a pretty answer, but yeah, being on pop, being the most popular, obviously has its benefits. But no, it's got to be about winning. Okay. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go with you, Lee. I completely agree. At the end of the day, some some people dislike because people are jealous of their um, of their success. So, if some people dislike you for no apparent reason other than your success, it means you're doing something right. So, definitely be more successful. Right. Okay. That's um. That's that's really. I mean, yeah. I, I kind of um agree to that one I, I can't really see myself wanting to be in a situation where you've got all that popularity it's kind of, I suppose in a way it's kind of um what Kimi Raikkonen had for the last few years of his career to a degree you can be one of the most popular drivers on the grid but never really get anywhere near a win um or you can be someone who's a lot less popular I'm not going to name names on this one because uh pitchforks will come out for me on this one if I pick someone at random <laughs> That's a regular race winner, but they're not popular with the fans at all. Um, let's say if Mazepin was a Grand Prix winner. There we go. Oh, that's different. That's, that's bit, different yeah. because it's why because because you, you're going into why they're not popular. 
Well, I mean, I, I don't think the why is really necessary in this one. The ultimate <laughs> thing is you're, you're just not popular. People just don't like you. Um, nothing yeah, personal, I'll, I'll just still, don't like I'll you. I'll still stand by my answer. Okay, so I think we're all in agreement on that one. Again, guys, yeah. play along at home if you want and uh, let us know what you think. Okay, well, that one was quite an easy one, I think, to answer. It was a bit of a warm-up one. So I'm going to come to the next one. Would you rather be a number two driver in a championship-winning car with no chance of being allowed to win the driver's title and be the supporting act for the number one, or would you rather be the number one driver in a car that can fight for podiums but never good enough to fight in a world championship? So I guess in a weird way, you've kind of got the Bottas, Rubens, Barry, Kello career on the one side, and on the other side, you've got, uh, I suppose, someone off the top of my head, I suppose, um, Lando Norris's career so far. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this one? And that's not me saying Lando's not good enough. I'm sure he will be. But right now, that's kind of how it would look. Uh, fresh off, or a Ricardo, if you like. Uh, I'm going to go with the Bottas role, you know. Really? Like, at least, uh, yeah, because at least, at least you get like, at least you get the chance to, to drive a car that's good enough to win a championship. Like You, you think, like, if you just enjoy driving, like, like Kimi Raikkonen, for example, Kimi Raikkonen would have enjoyed driving the uh, the 2017 Ferrari, I'm sure, because that would that it was a great car. So, if either way, you're not going to be world champion. I'm going to go for experience in driving a championship winning car. Okay, that's a pretty good explanation. Uh, what about you, Lee? I'd actually agree with Courtney. Um, I'd rather <laughs> be in the championship winning car. Um, obviously, there will be you'll have your moments that even as a number two driver, you will win. Mm. So, which is better than regular podiums, because I'd rather have my five wins to your ten po- um, podiums. Thank you very much. Although a win is on the podium, but that's not the point I'm trying to convey. Um, and you never know that you could have a really good start to the season and your championship winning teammate could have a really bad start to the season. You, you may be in the best position to try and go in that championship. And like convince the team. Yeah, like I was just what I was going to come to. Although he was never officially number two. But he managed to turn the tables on his championship rival. And so there's always an opportunity. So I completely agree with Courtney on that one. I mean, it's, I think it's one of those where you kind of have to think about what, how you'd want your career to be remembered. Because with all due respect to Valtteri Bottas and, and, and Rubens Barrichello, you could argue that very solid drivers and very, very good at what they, at what they do. But ultimately they were in very very good positions that they earned thoroughly deserved but a lot of it was brought down to how good the car was you know we always have that car versus driver debate with some of the elite drivers in the sport um but we never really look at it too much with these drivers that obviously play a very important role as the supporting act if you like the robin to the batman and um that's the first thing I could think of in my head. Um, now I've got this image of Valtteri Bottas in coloured underwear, which is <laughs> weird. Anyway, um, that's the, that's going to be a Netflix drive to survive, isn't it? The new series. Yeah. Instead of seeing his bare ass like we did in the last series, we're going to see him dressed up like Robin at some Halloween party or something. I don't know. Um, but it, it's one of those where yeah, I guess you kind of have to think about how you'd want to be remembered. As I said, if you want to have a career where you've had the best car for some time and yeah, you've got some nice career stats that you've won a certain number of races, but would you be more fondly remembered or rated higher than you would be if you were in a car that was like the third best car on the grid, not never good enough to win a championship, but you managed to pick up a few wins here or there. 
I suppose it depends on which one you'd rather be. I mean, that all being said, I'd probably agree with a pair of you. I'd much rather be involved in those championships, even if I don't necessarily win a driver's one and I have to be the number two to someone like a Lewis Hamilton or a Michael Schumacher or a Senna, uh, for example. Um, you're always going to have that success and you know you're going to be a part of it because without the number two driver that's as good as they are, you're still not going to win those championships mm-hmm. um, because of how close the field has been. Okay, so that was another easiest one as well. Let's let's do one that I think might be a little bit more thought provoking on this one. Hopefully, you might get a divide on opinion on this one. I mean, this is what happens when you ask two people to jo- do a podcast with you that are quite like minded. So um, you end up with similar <laughs> thoughts a lot of the time. Need more controversial people on this. Um, anyway, number three: Would you rather be a one-win wonder, so you only win r- one race in your career, but it's your motto? wait for it wait for it but it's at your home race or would you rather win multiple races to say 10 15 races in your career but none of them are at home oh easy 10 to 10 15 it's all about the stats it's all about the stats in formula one okay well what if it's five what if it's five wins then would that change your mind You just have to persuade enough of your fans to come over and support you, like Max does. Because you realize, because so few love for Max, for example. So they say like he only won five races in his career. You have a look at Austria, for example. That's like a home race for him. Well, what about if, um, if like, okay, I'll be a bit more specific with this scenario. Let's say, <laughs> is it all at the same track as well? My ten and fifteen races at the same track. Uh, well, it doesn't really matter. It's just not at your oh, home. Ten Grand wins Prix. at Monaco. I mean, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what. Well, if you won ten wins at Monaco, that would be. I mean, that's that's Hall of Fame stuff right there. You'd get you'd get the Hall of Fame just for that. Um, the only yeah, only the streets will know quite literally. Um, it, it's it's one of those like an example. I know he ha- he's won more than one race in his career, but Johnny Herbert winning the British Grand Prix in 1995. Uh, obviously, yeah. he, the highlight of his career and a day when everyone was talking about Michael Schumacher and Damon Hill, and they took each other out, and Johnny went on to win that race in the Benetton. Um, and then compared to someone like Jensen Button, who's won multiple races, but he never won the British Grand Prix in Formula One. Now, I know I'm not saying compare his situation to that one, because obviously we'd rather be Jensen, I suppose. But it's one of those, if you only won a few races in your career, but none of them were at home, would you rather win the one race at home in Silverstone in front of a full pack British crowd? You know, I, I'm, guesses, I'm, I'm guessing I'm kind of getting through to you guys on this one, because I can see you're, you're sort of smiling at that thought uh, of it compared to... It's teasing. You know, yeah, there you go. It's te- it's, it's the, you're teasing me, Adam, but I'm going to stick with my original answer. Well, what about you, Lee? I, I think, I, again, I agree accordingly, I'm afraid. I mean, <laughs> if, if you have your multi races in in one season, just going to use your Jensen Button example, before 2009, he only won one race, I believe. He won seven races in uh, the first eight. There you go. That was his fundamental part of his championship. He didn't need to win any other races. I much rather we only win eight races in my career and be a world champion than only win one race. Okay, well, I'll make this a little bit more difficult then. <laughs> Even though I use Jensen Sorry. as an example, <laughs> you, there's no world championships or anything involved. We're just talking race <laughs> wins on their own. You can't say, oh, well, I'll win a world championship winning five Grand Prix in one year. No, <laughs> none, of, none of that. It's either the five wins on their own as merit, regardless of what they mean in your career, or just one win, but it's at home. I would still go over the five. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking. I'm sticking. 
I think you've five just... in Monaco. Come on, five in Monaco. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, as many, it's as many as Michael Schumacher did, so it's not a bad thing. No, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna stick the other way. I think I would if it's five wins, I would rather win one race at home at Silverstone because it's a Silverstone. I think depending on where you are around the world listening, you might have a different feeling if you have a Grand Prix circuit in your home country or not. Um, but I think you know that that feeling on that day winning in front of your home crowd in F1. It, it, there's not many like it. So um, I think I would trade four wins for that one or five wins for that one if I was in that situation. So at least we're different in that regard. Okay, number four, because um, we are moving quite quickly on the, along this one. So uh, I do apologise, guys. Hopefully these ones will be a bit more thought-provoking uh, than the others. Would you rather have Jill Villeneuve's F1 career or Jacques Villeneuve's F1 career? Now, just a little bit of background for this one, because obviously uh, for both their careers, Gilles Villeneuve, obviously he won six Grand Prix in 68 uh, 68 appearances or 67 starts. His best result was second in the 1979 championship, drove for McLaren and Ferrari. Um, Six wins, 13 podiums, two pole positions and eight fastest laps. Obviously regarded by many as the fastest driver to ever ever drive a Formula One car, owing to his ability that he never took things cautiously, he always tried to drive the wheels off it every single time and quite literally did, um, quite famously, if, uh, many years ago. And then, of course, we've got Jacques Villeneuve's Formula 1 career, his son, uh, 163 Grand Prix starts, one world championship in 1997, 11 wins, 23 podiums, 13 pole positions, nine fastest laps. Granted, a little bit more successful than his father, and drove for Williams in the 90s, BAR, Renault, Sauber, and BMW Sauber before he retired in 2006. So what are your thoughts, guys? Which one would you rather have had out of the two? It has to be Jack because he got a world championship. It's, it's hard. It's hard but you, you, it all goes back to the stats. If you're not remembered for podiums, it's, it's wins. If it's not wins, it's a world championship. So I just, I just think you got it's that's that has the highest pinnacle. That's what every Formula One driver goes to achieve, and it goes back to that sort of um, reputation against success question that you, we started with. I'm, I'm, I'm going with, uh, I'm going with Jack because he got a championship. Okay, um, I, I feel like there's a theme going on here that we seem to be going for stat padding rather than being remembered yeah. more fondly. Being, we obviously the don't care for being popular, do we? The stats, when we are no longer on this planet, it's the stats that stay with you. It's the legacy that you leave behind. That, that's what I'm staying with. But this is the thing, like with the Jill Villeneuve side of it, you don't need to remember the stats because you know of the name, you know of the legacy he left behind. It's, it, it, with all due respect to what Jack achieved in the sport, I would always say that his father's remembered more fondly and more prestigious more as a fondly, driver than yeah. he was. Yeah. But he never, as I said, because, but he never won a world championship. Like he's being compared to some of the all-time greats, and yet his stats compared to some of the all-time greats is like comparing apples and oranges. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, Lee, what do you what do you think? I actually don't agree with Courtney on this one. Yes, <laughs> there we go. We've got some disparity on this show. Yes, that's what I like to hear. Um, I did lean towards Courtney's um, thinking that yeah, you're obviously you're on a championship, but out of my out of all the world champions that Formula One's had, Jack Villeneuve wouldn't be up there as probably in the top ten, probably even more. But I'm not going to make a definitive list of top ten champions. But he's not he's not a standout championship winner. But 
Jules Villeneuve stands out just because what he was able to do in the car. Um, so having been him before, just the sheer skill. And in a time when driving those type of Formula One cars was really dangerous, a lot more dangerous than it is today. And he was still able to pull out some of the, the, the racecraft and laps he was doing. So it was just mighty impressive. So I'd rather have his career, although he died <laughs> before before his career and um, seed out his uh, true potential. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the early 80s, you know, when Ferrari were able to win a channel, compete for championships, it was, uh, that would have been the time, um, particularly in 82, obviously, when he sadly passed at the Belgian Grand Prix qualifying. But um, yeah, I, I'm kind of agreeing with you. I mean, I, I get it, you know, with, with Jacques, I do, you know, no one can ever take a world championship away from you. And he did earn it. Let's not, you know, let's not forget he did earn it. It's not like it was given to him or anything like that. Um, and, and he did it against Michael Schumacher. Granted that Williams was in a league of its own. There was no way Michael should have been in that championship fight, let alone take it to the final race and, you know, ultimately do what he did in her F, um, you know, as silly as that was, but it, it still counts. That all being said, I think because of what happens after that, and how, you know, his career kind of goes down the toilet where BAR never really lived up to its expectation and it kind of just went in tatters after that. I would probably prefer to have had Gilles' career. Um, I mean, look, we, we can't anticipate for some of the horrible things that happen in the, one of the certain drivers of the past. And, you know, it's like with Ayrton Senna or Jules Bianchi or just to name a few or some others as well. You know, Jochen Rint, another one as well. Um, you just... Sometimes, you know, it's about that romance side of F1. You know, things that we remember these drivers for. You don't, you ignore the stats. You don't care for that. Um, I mean, look at Sterling Moss. You know, the late Sterling Moss. You know, people talk about him as one of the greatest drivers of all time and he never won a world championship, but that doesn't matter. You know, people remember him more fondly than most drivers that have won an F1 championship by comparison. So that's my take on it. But, you know, all legitimate guesses. I'll, I'll be interested to see the comment section, what people go with on this one and why um but i'm glad we got some parity on that one at least okay look we're, we're actually moving on at a good pace so we might be able to get through all of these before we wrap up so we've got number five so this one might be a bit better number five if your career was 100 races would you rather score a podium in every single race but never win one or a world championship as well so, Lee, no world championships in this one. We want to try and think of that. Would you rather that or would you rather win on your final race? So your career is 100 races long. You either podiums in every single one, but no world championships or race wins. Or would you rather win your final race of your career? You get the championship on your final race. Um, no, <laughs> no, no world championships because <laughs> that's just cheating the system. I'm gonna go against my usual grain and go with the podiums Ooh, because it just shows okay. because it shows because it shows a level of consistency, doesn't it? Like if you're that consistently good, then I've 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 got to go with that because I I've, I've I'm I'm a big believer in consistency. So yeah, I'm gonna go with that. I'm gonna go with the uh, podiums. I mean, what you're kind of selling to us there, Courtney, is that you'd rather Carlos signs his career to date than Pastor Maldonado's. 100%. Yeah, yeah, pretty, that's pretty much what we got here. Um, Lee, what, what about you? Uh, part, part of me started off thinking 
Uh, that one win on the final race, oh, that would have been really nice. So you you see some of the like Kimi Raikkonen retiring. Oh, how great he'd been that he won in his last race. See him up on the podium. Oh yeah, good boy. But yeah, no, I much rather consistency. It's been a hundred times on the podium. I, I may never get to the top step, but you know, I've done the best in my car to get onto this podium a hundred times. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with what I've achieved. So, yeah, I'll be with really the consistency. I'm sort of thinking about that trophy cabinet, that how that would look. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Uh, who's, the, who's the step teaching now? Eh? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, you, you can be an F1 winner. That's all fine and well. But I mean, if you want to, if you have an episode of MTV Cribs, for example, where they do an F1 edition, that's one niche that they haven't quite got into yet. So we have to see how that goes. And then you walk into your trophy room and you just see one trophy and it's just got a big one on it. Yeah, that's all fine. But... That's like a cabinet. You, you, that many trophies, and Lewis Hamilton will know what I'm talking about here. You need a whole room or a whole hall or a house, if you like, dedicated to having that many trophies in there. I mean, he has that many wins, but um, yeah, I, I'm with you guys for once on this one. I know a win sounds nice, but I'm not going to trade 100 podiums um, just for one race win. That's just ridiculous, you know, how it goes, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah. Um, it could be worse. You could be like Nico Hulkenberg, who was brilliant, and he's sad he never able to get a podium. So, uh, yeah, that would be a much harder one to do, but hey-ho. Okay, we'll move on to number six then. Um, so we seem to be whizzing through these quicker than I'd anticipated, but we'll, we'll move on. Um, so number six, would you rather win the championship in your rookie season and then retire immediately afterwards, or would you rather have a 15-season F1 career but never win the world championship. So it's kind of like if, if Lewis had won his rookie season and then retired, or would you rather have a career like a, like a a Rubens Barrichello, if you like? Do you know what? I'm going to go with the second one because I've, I've, I've thought about this quite a lot. You know, if you have like footballers, for example, to get the press when they finish their career, because that's just been their life and it's gone. Like, if you think, like, if you just win a Formula 1 championship at the age of, what, 22, 23? Yeah, you'd have the money and it's success, but you'd be bored. I like to have, like, going for, like, years and years and years. And obviously, like, this is hypothetical, but you're thinking, okay, I didn't win this year, but I'm going to try and win next year. So, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. Yeah, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say staying in Formula 1 for longer. Because, like, Kimi Raikkonen, for example, he knows he ain't going to win, but he enjoys competing in Formula 1. He enjoys driving Formula 1 cars. It was a hobby. So, exactly. Exactly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with option two, Adam. I mean, that, that's... It. It's a fair approach. I mean, I mean, we all know. I don't need to say it, and I'm sure someone in the comments will probably say it anyway. So I'm going to beat them to the punch. But obviously, in Kimmy's case, it was a lot easier for him because he'd already won a world championship. Yeah. If he hadn't have done, then mm. perhaps he would have... You know, this... I mean, he may have never left to do rallying when, obviously, Ferrari bought him out of his contract to bring Alonso in. He may have gone somewhere, may have gone back to McLaren or gone somewhere else. Um, you know, you never know. For all we know, it, it might have been one of those where Kimi may have decided to leave F1 altogether and not bother coming back. I don't know, but it's a valid point. Um, Lee, what about you? I, I'm i probably going to be leaning towards that one championship, one career. Yes, Courtney has a point that... Uh, I've just been doing go-karting for the last 10 years. I've come into Formula 1 and now my career's over at 21, 22. Or if, if in Max's case, when he joined at 16, oh, my career's yeah. over at 16. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do? But um, no, it's 
no driver has ever won a championship on their rookie season. So you go down statistically winning it as winning your um, driver on your championship on your rookie season. So no, I'll, I'll take the uh, the one championship in the rookie season. Basically doing the Rosberg, but in your rookie season, just cut and, yeah. Yeah, cut and run as soon as you win the championship. Um, I mean, it's certainly interesting um, how you would stack up with the all-time greats of F1 if you won in your rookie season and then decided to call it a day and do other things. Um, that that GOAT argument would be very, very interesting how people would see that. Um, maybe it's because I'm a massive lover of F1. And I would want to do it for as long as I could if I was in a position where I could. I would probably agree with Courtney on this one. As much as I'd love to win a world championship if I was in that position, I don't think I'd want to do it knowing that it was the only season I'd ever get in the sport. Um, and as I said, there's not a particular reason for this person to retire hypothetically. It's just any, it could be anything you think of. Um, but I, I'd rather stay in F1 for the long haul just for the fun of doing it really rather than winning it you know because you can win a world championship but then if, if you look back on it and think oh, you only did it once part of me would almost feel like oh, I wish I'd have stayed in it longer or done other things but not fair enough okay so we've gone through quite a lot of these already this is the last one so amazingly we managed to get through all of them but um it's a good thing we did the news roundup as well as this otherwise would have been a really short episode but uh time wise <laughs> we're doing all right actually so last question guys and uh hope you are joining us along at home as well let us know how you're getting on in the comment section by the way and if you are enjoying this make sure to like this episode and consider subscribing to the channel help us get to 500 subs always got to plug it at the last it's kind of like watch mojo what they do in it you get to number two and they're like oh, number one and then it's an ad break or, yeah. like or subscribe or do whatever honorable get mentions us, and yeah. all that stuff get us to 500 subs i feel like we've been all 480 something for the last year let's get the 500 subs people 500 <laughs> subs we've got to drive that campaign going forward we, we, exactly. we really would appreciate if you would consider doing that and of course if, if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform you can of course give us a review out of five stars if you think we're worthy of that we'd love it if you could give us one uh, five star review um and, and if you have any feedback let us know I want to try and make the show better for you guys. Anyway, look, let's move on to the final question. For those of you playing along at home as well, this is the final would you rather question for this episode. Would you rather win 50 races without ever winning a world championship in your career? Or would you rather win one world championship but never win a race? I'll I'm going for 50 wins. Really, I'm going for the fifty wins because it's, it's, it's that it's that it's, it's, it's that consi- it's that it's that consistency. Well, it can't I be that consistent, Corny. Gonna... You never won a world championship. No, but you're <laughs> winning. Like, you're winning races, though. You have like because fifty wins as well. Like that's that's quite an accolade. Yeah, but that's I mean, quite an accolade it, to win fifty races. Yeah, but if you if you do that in your career. Theory. Let's say you have a fifteen-year career or f- or a f- ten-year career. Yeah. That's five wins a season. Yeah, that might seem like a lot, but five. Well, I how think many that's terms, respectable. You know? I think that I think that's a respectable amount of races to win. I think that is. But n- none of them yielding a world championship. You you don't want to go there. No, like if you ever look at like Keke Vosberg, for example, like Keke Vosberg's like remember did didn't he like no, he's a world champion? A yeah, he did win a race. Did he? Yeah. Sure, he did. Because, or was it, or was it, 
I'm not sure. Is it I think he won. Win? I think he won one race. Yeah, but the F1 season was like six races long those years. Fair enough. Then, yeah, fair but enough. He I'll, won I'll a Grand it. Prix in his championship winning I season. I take just the one. back the point about <laughs> Keke Rosberg. I take back the point about Keke Rosberg, but I don't take back my previous point. I just think like the like fifty fifty race wins. I just think that's a real that's that is a good stat to have. Well, I mean, it's a good stat to have. It is pretty much the Sterling Moss stat. You know, the most, yeah. I think it's the most, is it the most wins without a, a world championship? Yeah. Must be, must be something like that. Yeah, because I mean, Bottas ain't too far from that, but I don't think he's going to win many races at Alfa Romeo anytime soon, unless they produce the, the car of all cars. You like, never know. You never know. The loophole. That that battle between him and Joe for the championship, and then you've got Schumacher oh. and Mazepin in there for Haas as well, just for the fun of it. Forget <laughs> Red Bull and Mercedes, move over. Got Haas and Alfa Romeo joined the party, and Williams are up there as well. And George Russell's back of the field again at the Merck. Oh no! It's all gone wrong. It's oh, all no. gone wrong. Would you rather? <laughs> well, he, he has, and we'll have to find yeah. out what the other half of that is. Um, okay, Lee, what's your thoughts on this one? What would you rather have: fifty wins without a championship, or a championship but no race wins? You get podiums on your championship. Huh? Yes, you can. Have, well, you're going to need podiums to win. I mean, okay. if you won a championship, then... if you won a championship without wins or podiums, mate, <laughs> that is literally the sweat of all sweats in an F. The Alan Pross <laughs> level of sweatiness in terms of picking up points. I, I would have said for the same reason, but the different uh, answer for, as Courtney is win the championship without winning a race, win the level of consistency to win a championship without winning any racing, especially in today's. Formula One, where you don't have six races like with Keke Rosberg, as you said, but the 20 plus races, and you don't win a single one and to win the championship, that has got to be some damn consistency. All right, if you didn't have a podium, then damn, that's even more impressive. But no, it's yeah, the consistency of getting the championship without a, a race win for me, yeah. Um, as annoying as it sounds, and I was already, and Courtney will hate me for this in a minute. But I would probably take the fifty wins. I, I, I you know, yeah, I think, I think, and and this is one that I, I'll admit, this is one that I nabbed. This isn't one of mine. This was one I pulled up from a site that was doing something similar to this because I had a look for a few of them, um, and there weren't many. That, with all due respect, there were some really good ones, but um, this was one that I nabbed from there. And I thought fifty wins was a bit generous. I'd have said something a bit more like twenty wins. You'd have been able to persuade me, but, yeah. Um, I mean, if you're looking, at, I mean, I'm looking at this season's World Championship, and if you'd have come second place in every single Grand Prix in this season's World Championship, you'd have won the World Championship by half a point. Oh. And that's no fastest laps or anything. Second place in 22 Grand Prix, that would be 396 points. Max Verstappen got 395.5. So um, can you imagine? Can you, can you imagine if like a bot, if someone like Bottas did that? that oh wow! Although I should wow. express the caveat because I'm sure someone will be smart enough to figure this out and put it in the comments that second place at Belgium would have been half points, which obviously would have rendered that stat useless. I'm just uh, saying hypothetically, yeah. if you'd have come second in every single race and it was a normal race and we had 22, mm. you'd have won the world championship with a second, and you wouldn't have had to win a race. Um, Although Grant, you could have got fastest laps as well. So, you know, that would have helped towards that little deficit. But my point is, um, as nice as a world championship sounds, it kind of contradicts a few things I've already mentioned. I think if you're getting offered 50 Grand Prix wins, you're going to go down as an F1 legend. I think that would put you, what, fourth in the all-time list? Or fifth? I think I think you have Vettel. Be fifth. 
Yeah, yeah actually, no, it'd be no, it wouldn't be. It'd be fourth, wouldn't it? Because I think you've got Vettel. Oh no, would, would it? Yeah, no, it would be fifth because it's Alan Prost. It, Alan Pro, is Alan Prost on forty-one yeah. or fifty-one? Fifty-one, isn't he? I think Senna's on forty-one. Yeah, so you'd be fifth on the list behind Prost, Vettel, uh, Schumacher, and then Hamilton. I mean, that's not bad company. You know, that's no. like no. what? That's like what? Twenty-two world championships. Uh, or 23 for the Hamilton fanboys, if you like. Um, <laughs> someone's going to say, I might as well just chuck it in there. Why yeah. not? 23, go on then. Let Lewis, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Lewis will probably win his eighth next season anyway. So, you know, there we go. But yeah, um, I, I think 50 Grand Prix wins is way too generous. I think it was more like 20. I'd probably take the world championship. This, this, as I said, this is based on what I found, but it's a good one. Um, so just to finalise, Courtney, you and I are taking the wins. Lee, you're taking the World yes. Championship by sweating every single second place you can think of and getting a fastest lap as well just to cover off that Belgium half race deficit or half points for no actual proper laps deficit, if you like. Thank you. There you go. I'll take that very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, it's crazy. But I mean, that's all the ones I had. I, I, I looked at it, I thought, oh, should I get more? I figured that, you know, we might run over time a little bit but i think we're about about just over an hour actually this has kind of tied us in nicely um so yeah that that is the end of uh the would you rather episode guys um if you enjoyed that or enjoyed what we were trying to do with that let us know and we'll consider doing another one and some other little different episodes that we're going to try and do over the winter break and of course don't forget to let us know about the ongoing topics that we discussed particularly with lewis hamilton and the fia and a little bit on otmar zafna leaving aston martin as well already did the plug saying if you enjoy this don't forget to like and subscribe and of course we are on social media as well and we are in the process of potentially making a website and a tiktok page as well so uh stay uh, yeah stay tuned and uh, watch this space and hopefully we'll have more for you on that very very soon um but until then guys stay safe thanks so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast take care see you soon goodbye Podcast Network.